You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. We're dealing with boundary cases in terms of removing chametz. And until now, as we've gone, we began the third chapter with cases of stuff that might or might not be chametz, that was dubiously chametz, that we said had to be removed even though there was no punishment of karet, of cutting off, if we held on to it. And now we're going to deal with more boundary cases, just in terms of the, well, we begin with quantities, but we go on to situations. So we're going to deal with more boundary cases of chametz today, and we're going to carry on with this parallel between uh, chametz and chalah, and sacrifices, or tuma and tahara at any rate for today. So we're going to carry on with this triangle that we've been playing with ever since the beginning of the Masechet, and which indeed the Masechet is going to finish on. So we begin with this triangle, and believe it or not, as we get to the end of chapter 10, and we will finish chapter 10 before Pesach, we're going to finish on this triangle as well. But we're going to begin on the second Mishnah of chapter 3 with stuff that has got stuck in a crack. But sek she besidke areva, dough that's got stuck in the cracks of the kneading trough. So we can't get it out. Or at any rate, if these are small cracks, if these are small cracks, we probably can't get it out. If these are big cracks, we have a chance. And that's pretty much what the Mishnah advises us to do. If there's an olive's quantity in one place, one must remove it. And you can imagine, actually, an olive's quantity, you probably could remove it. But, if there isn't, if there isn't an olive's quantity, it's just nullified by the fact that it's small. Right? You don't need to, we don't need to get rid of a quantity of chametz because clearly dough, right? Dough in a kneading trough is clearly chametz, right? right? It's an open and shut case. But we don't need to get rid of it if there's less than an olive's bulk. By the way, this is a really interesting commentary on how we prepare for Pesach today. If we just keep in mind the fact that Mishnah says, look, if it's less than olive's bulk, you don't have to worry about it. That is really quite good medicine against any sort of obsessive compulsive disorder. And the Mishnah then goes on to say, It's similarly for Tuma and Tahara, that if there's less than an olive's bulk, well, if there's less than an olive's bulk, the situation is different. Because if there's less than an olive's bulk, it's part of the kneading trough. And that is a problem, right? Because it's going to make the whole kneading trough, Tommy. If there's more than olive's bulk, well, we can just take it away. The food inside the, the, the dough that's Tommy is not going to make the, the kneading trough, Tommy. So we can just take it away. So the, the halachic principles are the same for Tumantara, but the result is opposite. And then the Mishnah goes on to the Imi Makpita Lavchot says, if he objects to it, it interposes, and I, I think this means if if there's a uh, 
I'm, you know, I'm not certain what this means and I can't figure out from the commentators. Let's just keep going. Let's just hold that thought for a sec. I mean, interposing here is referring to interposing between the source of Tumar and the kneading trough. If he actually wants to keep it in the kneading trough, Harehu Ka Ariva, at that point it becomes a part of the kneading trough. That and that really is a problem. That means that the if you like the um that can render the whole kneading trough tummy. That's a problem. But sek ha cheresh. This is cheresh means death. I suppose it could mean a de in the time of the Mishnah, I meant a deaf mute as well. So maybe this is dough that can't speak. It seems to be dough that we're not clear whether it's rising or not. But if there's some similar, which has become chametz, so it, it seems as if we're going to look for some other dough which is made in the same batch. If there's some other similar dough that's become chametz, ze asur, then our deaf dough becomes forbidden as well. There is an opinion that this is cheres, which is pottery dough that has basically gone hard like pottery rather than charesh def. But I, I can't see any sign of that in my Kaufman manuscript. And gosh, I, I, I mean, I, I think we can agree that this end of the Mishnah seems to be a little bit incomprehensible. But if you don't mind, I just want to retain a sense of doubt about it and keep moving because there are two other Mishnayot that we want to cover today. And you know we could spend we, you know we could spend <laughs> we could spend a whole evening right on this Mishnah. Let, let's try to keep going. We're going to deal. We're going to we're going to segue into Chala. And there's one principle which we need to get straight in our heads before entering this Mishnah. Which is if we have Chala that's become unclean, so we're, we're sort of moving from Tuma and Tahara into Chala. If we've got challah, which is un unclean, we need to separate it on a festival. But we have a problem with what we do with it. We don't burn. Um, we don't burn holy things on a festival if they're if they're tummy. We're not going to bake on a festival if it's not going to be eaten, because we only bake for our own for ochel nefesh for for eat. We only bake for eating on a festival. You can't bake something which you're not going to eat. And clearly the unclean challah is not going to be eaten. So what would you do on a normal festival? Well, normally you would just put it aside and you'd burn it after the end, after the festival finished. But hang on, it's Pesach. It's Pesach. We can't take dough and just put it aside because it's going to become chametz. So what do we do? We can't leave it aside. We can't burn it and we can't bake it. That is the question which the third Mishnah addresses. How do we separate Chala on a festival? And this is Pesach, by the way, in a state of uncleanness. And different rabbis have different solutions. So Rabbi Eliezer says, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Lot Shem Ad She should not 
designated until it's baked. By the way, the subject of this of, of the people in this part of the Mishnah are all women. So we've clearly got some, if you like, street evidence that women are sep- women are baking and separating at this point. So Rabbi Eliezer says she shouldn't designate it until it's baked. Now we've learned when we looked at the Mishnah of Chala that if you have a large number of loaves, you can bake all of your loaves and then you take a whole loaf and give it to the priest. In other words, your challah, rather than being a little bit of dough, you pull off your dough and throw in the bottom of the fire. If you have a large number of loaves, you actually give the priest a whole loaf. That's your challah offering. That's a real challah offering. So you give him a whole challah, basically. So Rabbi Eliezer says as follows, look, what if we don't designate the challah until after they come out of the oven. So when the loaves are in the, when the loaves are going into the oven, well, they're all fit to eat, or each one, each one individually is fit to eat, because the one that's going to be designated as challah might be a different one. So we can actually bake them all. We can bake them all because they all have the potential to be eaten. And then, Rabbi Eliezer says, we're going to designate one as challah after they come out of the oven. And then, fine, we can burn it after, we can burn it after the chag. But it's not chametz anymore. It's been baked. Interesting evidence, by the way, that they were baking their matzah on Pesach, by the way. I mean, you know, generally you can bread, bake bread on, on chag. We bake all of our matzah before Pesach. But clearly... In the time of the Mishnah, they're baking their matzah on Pesach. So she's going to bake 12, all of her matzah. And then once it's baked and we're not afraid of rising anymore, we're going to designate one for the priest. That's Rabbi Eliezer. Let's have a look at some more options for our conundrum. Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera Omer, Tatil Betsonen. Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera says, look, she should just put it in cold water. So she designates the dough, puts it in cold water, and then it won't rise. Well, we'll come back to this one. Rabbi Joshua is the most interesting and creative. Amar Rabbi Joshua. Lo chametz she muzharim alav beval al yimatse. Rabbi Joshua says, no, this is not the chametz that we're warned about. Do you remember the pasuk that we brought a couple of days ago, no leavened bread shall be seen for you. Loterae lecha chametz. And no leaven shall be seen for you. Usor lo yerae lecha. I think that's the, 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 the language of the Pasuk. No leaven shall be seen for you. Rabbi Yoshua wants to make the point that you're forbidden to see. You can't see. You can't possess your chametz. But, of course, as we learned in the discussion on ownership of chametz, there's nothing to prohibit you seeing someone else's chametz. And Rabbi Yoshua is saying, he's saying look, this chala, it's not your chala. It's the priest's chala. So the prohibition doesn't apply to it. And so he's going to say, Eila, ma, Eila, mafrashta, umanachta, Ata Erev, she just separates it and she puts it aside until the evening. And if it ferments, it ferments. It doesn't matter if it ferments. We don't need to put the cold water on it because it's not our challah. 
It's the priest's challah. It's his problem. It's not our problem. And of course, he hasn't received it at this point, so it, he doesn't even it's, he doesn't even know. It's, it, it's not his problem until he receives it. So that's probably Yehoshua. Let's just go on with more practical issues. Rabban Gamliel Omer. Rabban Gamliel says, Shalosh nashim lashot ka'achat ve'ofot betanur echad zo'acharzo. Rabban Gamliel says three women can actually share an oven. And we could imagine, by the way, with the technology of the Mishnah, there were probably not that many ovens around. So it was, would have been common to share an oven. So Rabban Gamliel says, look, three women can knead at the same time and bake in one oven, one after the other. Well, so he's very, I guess he has confidence that they won't leave the dough too long before it becomes chametz, even if they're queuing for the oven. And the sages are going to disagree. So the Chachamim are saying, look, we need, if we're going to do this, we need some kind of production line. One person is kneading. She doesn't start kneading until the second person has finished kneading and started shaping. And the third person at this point is, is baking. So we put a production line together in which one woman is kneading, one woman is shaping, and a third woman is baking. So we know that they kind of shoot through one by one, and we're never, we're never left with dough, which is hanging around, getting, um, getting fermented. And Rabbi Akiva is going to say, Rabbi Akiva Omer, Lo chol anashim, velo chol ha'etzim, velo chol ha'tanurim shavin. You can't make a generalization about all women or all kinds of wood or all kinds of ovens. I mean, this is a really, I mean, you know, this is quite a deep comment and we could spend a lot of time thinking about it. But he's quite right. You can't generalize about people. And he gives the principle, or I think he gives the principle. It's not quite clear whether this is his principle or the principle generally of the Mishnah, but I think he gives the principle, Zehaklal. And we know very often, by the way, Rabbi Akiva brings a principle. We've seen this before. So I think this is probably Rabbi Akiva's principle. Zehaklal tafach til tosh butsonen. If it rises, she should just dunk it in cold water. In other words, um, we might have people kneading at the same time, but if something starts to rise, we just take corrective action and we dunk it in cold water. Remember, we're in a warm climate and we can reduce the speed at which fermentation takes place very substantially just by dunking in cold water. And that's how we make sure that our matzot do not become chametz. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.